What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. You guys already know who I am. I am your host, Blaine Spencer. I am pleased to have on sports journalist Steezy A. Smith, who follows the Seahawks to a T, and it's been a wild week for the city of Seattle with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and potentially a Deshaun Watson move is in the works. Who knows? Seattle is going to go for a rebuild to a potential just load back up. But we're going to talk NFL today. I've got Steezy on with me. Steezy, how are you? Appreciate you coming on. Hey, my God, Blaine, like I told you before, Air, bro, I feel like this is a little overdue. Uh, you know, I've been meaning to work with you. I've been wanting to work with you. But uh, to answer your question, I'm feeling good. You know, I'm, I'm kind of over the heartbreak. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, just the other day I was feeling like a clingy ex and, and now I'm feeling uh, a little better. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's safe to say I'm doing good. There you go. We got to get through the clingy X part. You got to get those couple of days off through the, through the through the week for for the heartbreak to go away a little bit for sure. <laughs> no so, doubt. But you follow Seattle with T. A lot of your content is about Seattle, and again, long overdue to get you on my show as well. But let's dive right into the biggest news of the week: the blockbuster move that took place, especially in Seattle and in Denver. Russell Wilson is going to the Denver Broncos from NFC to AFC. Steezy is trying to control himself and stay composed right now. But <laughs> but let's go through the whole terms of the deal. We have the Broncos giving Seattle Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, which I really think is a sleeper play in this trade that people aren't really talking about. Shelby Harris, the D lineman, two first rounders, the number nine pick this year, 2023 first rounder, two second round picks as well as a fifth-round selection in this draft, and the Seahawks are giving away a fourth and Russell. Talk to me, Steezy. What was going through your mind as this was going down, and what do you think of the trade as a whole? Is it a win for Denver, or is it a win for the Seahawks? So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory before I kind of dive into that. Um, It was the other day. I think this trade happened, what was it, Wednesday, right? Yeah, Tuesday um, or Wednesday, something right after Aaron. Right after Aaron said he was going back to Green Bay, Denver pulled the pl- pulled the trigger on everything. So, I believe it was Wednesday. Let's see, March eighth, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay, so that day, right? Uh, no, the day before. So the day prior on Monday, I'm trying to pull an all nighter. Right, I don't go to bed until eight a.m. on Tuesday, and you know I'm like, yo, I'm gonna take a little nap around eight a.m. I know it sounds goofy, but um, instead of a nap, I end up sleeping for about three, three and a half hours. I wake up around 1130 a.m. and I check my phone and my phone is completely blown up. I'm getting missed calls, texts, social media tags, uh, messages, everything. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? I'm like, did I miss something? And then I and then I go on uh, Bleacher Report. I go on ESPN. I'm seeing breaking news. Russell Wilson traded to the Broncos. And I don't know what it is, but lately. I've been seeing a whole bunch of posts go viral for posting like fake news or like fake pages posting fake news. And so I was just like, yo, this got to be fake news because I wasn't hearing nothing about a trade like this literally came out of nowhere. And then when I when I went back to return some of those calls that I had missed, I was like, yo, what's up? Like, you know, did you call? And they were like, yo, did you hear about the news? And I'm like, what news? The fake news? Because that's not real. And then they were like, nah, it's real. Russell Wilson's gone. Bro. I was heartbroken. I, I was speechless. I stayed in bed for another three to four hours because I, I just I couldn't. I had a hard time coming to grips with the news. Right. And 
eventually I, I had a live show later that day. And right before I went live, or as soon as I went live, then I got the breaking news of Bobby Wagner being released. And so as soon as I thought I had just gotten over Russell Wilson being traded, then Bobby gets released. And I, oh man, I'm just, I was absolutely devastated. As far as the trade return, I definitely feel like Seattle could have got a little bit more in exchange. I'm not trying to downplay, you know, no offense, the two first, the two seconds. But some of my biggest questions were, Seattle didn't have many draft picks to begin with. So why did Seattle, they're the ones giving up a franchise quarterback. Why did Seattle have to give up an additional fourth? Uh, to me, that didn't make too much sense. And then if the minimum asker price beforehand for a franchise quarterback was three first round picks, why was it that Seattle only had to settle for two? And but and even if Denver wasn't willing to offer a third first round pick, why couldn't they throw in a Bradley Chubb or a, or a passer 10? Because to my understanding, Jerry Judy was off the table. Cortland Sutton was off the table because if Russell was going to waive his no trade clause to go to Denver, obviously he's going to play with some weapons, right? He's going to want Javante Williams. He's going to want all those guys there. But to me, I don't think that applied defensively. So I'm real curious as to why Seattle didn't push harder for a passer 10 or a Bradley Chubb. But I think aside from that, you know, Seattle was, was bereft of, of draft picks, of any sort of flexibility. And, uh, this is my least favorite stat, but since 2017, the Jacksonville Jaguars, arguably the worst team of football, they have more playoff victories than my Hawks. And that's two to my Hawks is one. And so obviously we haven't really been going anywhere in the last five years. I knew that this was going to happen. I knew it was inevitable. I just didn't expect it to happen, you know, when it did. And uh, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm working through it. I'm getting over it, but uh, you know, th this is definitely going to stink for a while. Yeah, and I think you really brought up a good point there with the Seattle having to send their own draft pick. I know it is a fourth rounder, a mid round pick, but still, you would think that Denver kind of flirted with everything and kind of won the deal in retrospect pretty easily. You get a hall of a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson, and I think one caveat that we really haven't taken into effect is that as soon as John Elway steps away. From that GM role, they don't settle for a six-five plus quarterback looking for that prototypical. They go for Russell, they go for the shorter frame, but they know his intangibles are off the charts as a leader, as a with his mobility. And again, Noah Fant losing him is probably a big loss because I think that's another piece that Denver really could have utilized. But I think KJ Hamler being able to stay kind of fills that middle of the middle role there for them. And I think that's a huge component of being able to keep Hamler, keep Sutton, keep Judy. The offense is going to be completely still intact. It's absolutely ridiculous right now how it's going to be able to be a success, but I agree. Seattle, I don't think did enough, but you know, I'm also a little bit salty myself because we were talking about this off the air that Washington offered the three first rounders and he said, not a chance with his no trade clause. He said, I'll stay in Seattle. So there's that. So I think he wanted to go to a team that was ready to win now. I still don't even put Denver puts themselves in the Super Bowl contention, mm -hmm. but oh, now yeah. they are not, I, I, they're not even the favorite in the division, even with this move. So Talk about it from a Denver perspective here in the AFC. I know the AFC is way more vaunted. So I think it's an interesting move in retrospect for Russell to challenge himself to go into the AFC West. You know, I love watching Colin Coward. And I remember the other day he was talking about how the greats, they don't run away from challenges. You know, he brought up an interesting analogy. He was talking about, 
remember when Netflix kind of took over the world as a streaming service? Yes. Well, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, he, he looked at that as, yo, this is a challenge. And so he came out with, what was it? Um, Prime, whatever Prime the video. Amazon, Prime, Prime video. video. And then Hulu comes out. Well, Hulu's actually been out, but then Hulu started adding a whole bunch of different features and, you know, dimensions to what they offer. And then now there's Peacock and there's, you know, uh, Paramount. And so with Russell Wilson, he's the ultimate competitor, the ultimate winner. And I understand he wants to win, but maybe he doesn't look at the AFC as, you know, as, as scary as, as I don't know. And I'm not claiming, I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers was scared, but <laughs> I, I like to think that Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, they're kind of made up differently as far as like mental mental wise right like mentally they're kind of wired differently and so Russell Wilson he's the type to to embrace you know that challenge of going over to the AFC because yes you're right bro like the AFC it is a gauntlet especially his own division but for me I still have Russell Wilson as a top four top five quarterback in the NFL and I don't know where you stand between you know who's the better team Broncos or the Chargers uh, I know the Chargers did just trade for Khalil Mack, but I do think the Broncos will respond. I do think the Broncos will probably go after a Vaughn Miller. Who knows? Maybe they bring back Bobby. Or no, maybe they bring Bobby to re- reunite with Russ. And so there's still moves to be made. Um, but I like Denver before they acquired, before the Chargers acquired Khalil Mack. And so I think Russ, he's not afraid of the challenge. Um, and look, I think the only two teams you could definitively put above the Broncos right now are the Chiefs and the Bills. And I agree so. With that. Right, right. Definitively, at least. Um, obviously, like I said, moves are still to be made with the Chargers, Broncos, and whatnot. But top three in the AFC, and the AFC is a lot more loaded than the NFC. I know the NFC is a lot more wide open this year, but I think Denver is most definitely a Super Bowl contender. I mean, you look at their defense last year, top three in both yards and points allowed. And they retain a lot of those pieces. And so uh, you bring in an offensive mastermind or who's perceived to be an offensive mastermind and Nathaniel Hackett, who had a lot of success with Aaron Rodgers. I think they have all the pieces on offense. I think the only thing they really have to clean up now is that offensive line. So I think they're very well in the Super Bowl conversation. I know a lot of people are trying to downplay that, but in my, in my opinion, they're definitely Super Bowl contenders. Without question. And I think I, I agree with you on there. The third or fourth out of my eyes, I would probably put them level with Cincinnati who represented the AFC this year. But again, mm-hmm. moves are meant to be made. Cincinnati better put every free agent and draft pick into the offensive line, but we'll see how oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, Joe Burrow's going to be on his back again and again and again. But you, I, I think that they were able to retain so much Denver other than Fant, that you could really just see everything. Drew Locke, he's going to Seattle, but he was their backup quarterback to begin with, which puts Seattle in an interesting predicament. What are you guys going to do at the quarterback position? And then the release of Wagner later in the day, it almost feels like this was the end of an era moment, why they were they left together. Pretty much the separation of that Legion of Boom as well, era, as well as the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, dominance in the nfc west you start to see the transition the last couple of years with the rams cardinals uh, niners as well but look let's look at seattle again where do you see that what is this going to be now is this a rebuild in seattle is it going to be sad days like how it's sometimes how rainy it gets up there or what is it gonna <laughs> what are we looking at because there's also the rumor that you guys, if deshaun watson gets cleared by the end of the week we're going to they're going to throw all their chips in the deck to go get him with all everything that you guys just acquired. Right. You know, it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to to think that Seattle is going to be rebuilding 
you know, especially from the ground up. I know they've done it before, but we're talking about the oldest head coach in the league. Pete Carroll, I think he's older than my grandparents. And so, I, you know, nothing against, nothing against, you know, older people. I'm not trying to discriminate, but it's like he's getting older. And so does he want to stick around for three, four, five years and, and kind of embrace the rebuild, you know, bring in a young quarterback and kind of have to go through, you know, all the lows of rebuilding. I don't know if he wants to do that. And so I think the Deshaun Watson rumors is definitely very, very feasible, but I'm not so sure I'm enamored with that. You know, Seattle's MO is always to keep everything in-house, right? They don't like drama. They don't like leaks. Yep. And that's kind of one of the reasons why, the relationship between Seattle and Russell Wilson kind of started to deteriorate over the years because, as you know, last offseason, Russ called out not only the offensive line, he was essentially calling out the team as well, you know, for saying that they didn't give him enough input and personnel decisions. They weren't helping them with the offensive line and whatnot. He wanted a list of teams that he wanted to be traded to. Exactly. Bro, like he's essentially flirting with other teams. Like he's the girlfriend and he's flirting with other guys. Like if I had a girl and, and she was out here listing four guys that she would date, if she would have break up with me and it's like, bro, that's the start of, of the end already. And it's like, what, you know? And so I feel like with Deshaun Watson, he's still going to get suspended no matter what. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm a big Deshaun Watson fan. So I'm not angling for that. I just know the reality of the NFL. He's going to get suspended, but not only that, think about all the media attraction and attention, the circus that he's going to bring with him to Seattle unintentionally. Of course, he's not going to willingly bring this to Seattle, but bro, if he does get traded to Seattle, his entire first year in Seattle is going to be all about, you know, the suspension It's going to be all about the case, you know, reporters and whatnot. They're going to constantly bug him about that. And Seattle's not going to want that extra attention. And another point of mine, we had a franchise quarterback at Russell Wilson, but like I said, in the last five years, we were going nowhere. So what gives us or what gives the fan base, you know, confidence that, okay, we get it, Deshaun Watson. How do we know that we're going to be able to properly build around him? In Houston, he never had an offensive line. So what's to say that he's going to have an offensive line in Seattle all of a sudden? Like all of a sudden, now we're going to start devoting resources to the offensive line. All of a sudden, now we're going to start to cater to our quarterback. So we're going to have a big money guy on the books. We're going to trade away all our draft picks. But now when we have him, we have no money to spend around him. We have no draft picks to surround him. So we're back to where we started. And obviously, yes, you have a better chance of winning Super Bowls. You have a better chance of winning football games when you have a franchise quarterback. But we've had a franchise quarterback for the last 10 years, and we've gone one in four in the playoffs since 2017. So I don't really see that changing. I know Watson is younger, but he's also going to want an extension in the next two years. Seattle was reluctant to give PK. I mean, Seattle was reluctant to give Russell Wilson 50 plus million dollars a year, which is what he wanted. This is kind of behind the scenes, um, but this is definitely what he wanted. And Seattle was not willing to pay that price with Deshaun Watson. It's going to be the same thing in the next year or two. So I just don't know if that'd be the best move. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I just don't know that it would be the move that we'd all want to see. All right, then what, what is your best case scenario right now? What would you do? Put me in the Seahawks GM shoes. You're the, you're the GM. What do you do for, as right now? You've got the ninth overall pick now. What are you going to do? Hey, yeah, hey, put me in, coach. Honestly, what I would do, and I know that a lot of fans won't be enamored with this, but this year, I think we start Drew Locke. And I'm not saying it's because I, I have belief in him. I, I wouldn't be surprised just because I still feel like there's a little bit of untapped potential on his side. But I, He's I got a live arm. He just can't. The accuracy Huge is a arm. major issue. Accuracy, turnovers. Uh, he's, he still can't read the field correct. I think that's another exactly. issue too. Can't read defenses. Under pressure, he 
he collapses. Um, and so there's a lot of nuances of the game that he's still kind of, you know, getting to get into. But I would either actually no, I would have a, I would stage a quarterback competition between him and a free agent that I would like Seattle to bring in Marcus Mariota. So I'm going to have those two guys competing at the with the ninth overall pick this year. I'm going to build up either the offensive line or defense. So if, if he falls this low, Kayvon Thibodeau, I feel like, would be the perfect defensive end. There's no end. way he is getting to nine. <laughs> Don't even hype yourself up like that. There is no way he is going to fall to nine. Someone will trade up at that point once he gets to five. And we should. I, I believe it just because I feel like he's. I feel like he can be a generational prospect, but you know, you never know. If but he, he also has there, that. There's also the question mark. Does he really want to play the game of football? Exactly. That's is the his motor, issue. It's is the, the passion. He doesn't have, he didn't have that motor at Oregon. As soon as the game was pretty much decided going against them, you did, he was taking off plays and you could see it. Exactly. It, it was, you know, somewhat evident in his play, but at the same time, the talent is very tantalizing. At the same time, Seattle has worked with, you know, defensive ends before and they know how to, you know, they know how to develop them. And so if he does fall there, I feel like that'd be a dream scenario. If not, man, what, what about a Derek Stingley, a Sauce Gardner? What about a Charles Cross, you know, at left tackle? Um, you know, there's a lot of options to go, but for me, if I had the ninth overall pick, if I'm John Schneider and Pete Carroll, I want to build up a football team everywhere with offensive line defensive line secondary um and then with the rest of our draft picks maybe we could take a matt corral or a desmond ritter in the second round uh we signed a marcus mariota we staged we keep a drew lock we'll have a, a three quarterback competition but the next year hopefully because if we have a bad year which is probably what's going to happen we'll probably finish with the top three top five pick in next year's draft then we could go after a bryce young or a cj stroud but by the time we get to selecting our potential future franchise quarterback we're going to have a team around them we're going to sign offensive linemen, hopefully, or draft offensive linemen here, you know, bringing a whole bunch of defensive guys. We'll have a team around that guy, and he'll be on a rookie-scale deal. He won't be commanding so much money. That's the way I would attack this offseason. Seattle, get on the phone and hire Steezy A. Smith. <laughs> you, just, you just outlined a perfect scenario, and I think that is the correct way they should approach it. Get a veteran in there. Maybe even go after Denver's bridge quarterback and maybe a Teddy Bridgewater too, something that you know he's going to hold down the fort for a year and then you guys can attack the draft next year. But again, offensive defensive line, this is the draft to take advantage of it. Exactly. There is plentiful, especially at the top of the board. You probably have three or four offensive linemen and defensive linemen that could go in the first 15 picks alone. So this is a great opportunity. I really like those moves in Seattle. I Wait, real quick, I, bro. So I'm not even trying to cut you off. I just forgot. Go, go ahead. To add this, sometimes you got to go backward to move forward. Oh, without a doubt. Sometimes you got to take that step back to go two steps forward. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really intriguing scenario with the Seahawks. I think it's especially with the division how it's playing out. It looks like it's going to be a real uphill battle with the Niners, Rams. Cardinals well you know nothing about the Cardinals now with the whole Kyler Murray fiasco but uh but still let's change gears now a little bit to the other side of the ball with Bobby Wagner why do you think they just cut ties there real quick and then we'll move further into the show so I know a lot of fans especially over here in Seattle you know we're kind of complaining oh we couldn't get a draft pick well, the reason why is because Bobby Wagner, for as great as he still is, second team all pro last year in 10 years, he's an eight time pro bowler, eight time all pro. His cap hit was set to be the highest amongst all inside and middle linebackers at 20.3 million. So what kind of team 
is willing to take on the contract of a guy who's going to be 32, of a guy who's somewhat declined. Oh, Washington, <laughs> Washington, Washington is. <laughs> Washington well, is. Hey, bro, because I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we're, we're, but- tra- we're basically been trying to try to trade away the house, but nobody wants us. So, <laughs> but I feel like, but I feel like if there were real offers on the table, Seattle would have taken it, you know, because it's not like they would have just been like, oh, yeah, we're not going to take the competition. We're just going to let him go. But also, in a way, I feel like this was kind of a respectful way to end it. Now, I did just see a tweet from Bobby. He was talking about how he felt disrespected because he didn't know he wasn't informed that he wasn't going to be released. He didn't know until it happened. Oh, and so that was definitely go. that was There's definitely drama. Very disrespectful. There's the drama. That- Bro, I feel like this always happens with our players, with our legends. Richard Sherman kicked to the curb. Bobby Wagner kicked to the curb. Earl Thomas kicked to the curb. Now, this didn't necessarily happen with Cam Chancellor, but the way his career ended, you know, with the injury, Doug Baldwin didn't go out and, you know, on his terms. But Seattle kind of has a tendency to not really treat their players with the utmost of respect on their way out. And so I hope we don't start to develop a reputation if we don't already have one. Um, But going back to the question, I just feel like, Maybe aside from the commanders, there weren't that many teams that were willing to give up draft compensation on top of a $20 million contract for a guy who started to decline in the last couple of years. And I feel like with Seattle releasing him, at least you give him the option to choose his team. Because if you trade him, he doesn't have no trade clause. He can't just be like, oh, I don't want to go there. So maybe they work things out or in their head, they were like, we'll let him choose his next destination by simply releasing him. I do like like that uh, argument, especially with how Wagner... I don't think it's been much of a decline. It's been very minuscule, in my opinion, with how second team all pro from first team all pro. Very significant drop off. But (laughs) (laughs) but arguably, you'd have to say, yes, I think Seattle has starting to get that reputation, though. And I think it starts at the top with Carroll. I think his meant the way he his mentality of coaching is a little bit different than many others take it in this league. And I think sometimes it slips into the front office on the occasions of how they approach uh, their signings as well as releasing players. And I, for me, I will never be a Pete Carroll fan. I'm a Notre Dame fan. He kicked our butt when he was at USC, so I will never support <laughs> him. But that's just a personal vendetta that I have. <laughs> but it's here, here nor there. I think it's the correct move to release him, especially with as soon as you knew Russell was leaving. It was. I think it was time to – really take a deeper dive into those top tier players. And Wagner was just a pigment of that and having to be released, which end, led to an inevitable situation that you kind of pointed out. Mm-hmm. But let's now jump to the other quarterback carousel moves that have been taking place. One that's got me extremely depressed. And then the other one that's uh, more or less looking at the Green Bay Packers. Well, that which kind of was the move that really cemented Wilson going to Denver because the only true suitor that was rumored to go after Aaron Rodgers was Denver. Let's talk about that. Aaron Rodgers announcing he is staying and Devontae gets the tag immediately after that, which was kind of going to happen. I think even if Aaron said no, what do we think about the Green Bay? We You kind of mentioned it earlier with him and Russ having wired differently. Aaron's a little bit more laid back that hippie mentality, just going with the flow. What do you see there? He's a local Berkeley guy, so I understand that hippie mentality for sure. Well, honestly, I, I feel like he's a smart man, you know, for doing what he did just because he realizes, you know, the state of the NSC. Prior to Russ being traded to Denver, I was on record saying that, 
Seattle has got to keep him no matter what this year because the NFC is wide open. Outside of the Rams and potentially the 49ers, where are the real threats in the NFC? And then and the Packers, of course, now with Aaron Rodgers in town. But we know of his struggles in the playoffs. I think after he won the Super Bowl, his playoff record is under 500. After he's, a tr- he's atrocious since yeah. the Super Bowl. He's 0-4 and- in championship games. I think he's mm-hmm. only won a, cu- a handful of playoff games since. I can't remember the n- number off the top of my head. but And it's not like he's doing it on the road. Most of the time, yeah, he's losing at home. at home in Lambeau. Hey, bro, on their turf. And so when they lost to the Niners, to me, that was just so pleasant. I understand special teams was horrendous all year long. But you're telling me y'all are playing in the snow and the Niners, they're not accustomed to playing in the snow. They play in warm weather under the sun. But then they come in playing your game and the offense is only able to put up, what was it, 10 points, 11 points? Seven points on the first drive. And Seven points on the first drive. Three points for the next three and a half quarters. And you have you have the reigning back-to-back MVP. You have the best receiver in football. You have one of the most dynamic duos at running back. You have this perceived offensive mastermind at head coach. And you can only put up three points in three quarters. I don't see LaFleur as a mastermind. Perceived. 28th ranked, 28th ranked offense in Tennessee before he got that job. I think that really raises some questions and it helps that Aaron Rodgers kind of put some masking underneath the, maybe his offensive style, but yeah. Or maybe Nathaniel Hackett was a real mastermind because he's been the offensive coordinator those last two to three years. That's you know, Matt LaFleur, I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt, Matt LaFleur, but I'm just saying the perceived notion. Because you know how he came from that you, – you would know. He came from that Washington coaching tree. Y'all had Sean McVay, uh, Mike, uh, Matt LaFleur, you know, sliding and sliding and sliding <laughs> into my chair because you just had to go somewhere that I wasn't ready to go because it just hurts me because, you know, we stuck with Jay Gruden – and we let three head coaches now in the NFL walk, and Jay Gruden's nowhere to be found. So nowhere, and he didn't do he didn't do anything in Washington. Oh no! But but didn't. caused drama and rifts between him and players. Um, but as far as the Aaron Rodgers situation goes, though, to me, you know, him taking up that much money, I will never knock a player for taking as much money as they could get because fans, and you know, I'm not speaking for people like us, but other fans out there, they're always talking about, oh, this guy should take a pay cut. Oh, why is this guy asking for this much money? Come on, y'all. If we was offered, if we was in the same position as these guys, we would want to get as much money as possible. So we can't knock them for that. But if a player is all about winning championships and you know that he's had all these playoff struggles, then why do you want to take up this much of the cap? Knowing that the best receiver in football in Devontae Adams is also looking to be the highest paid. So now if both these guys are taking up so much money, what, what is there left for the rest of the guys on the roster? Because now it's being reported that the Packers are going to have to release Zadarius Smith, arguably their best pass rusher. They've had to restructure contracts, and restructuring contracts might look good now, but what you're essentially doing is you're kicking the can down the road. And so you're going to have to pay for it later on. Well, that's, well, that's what the, the whole game plan of his contract really is, if you really deep dive into it. These next two years, they get two years to really go for it with how his – contract is structured to go get him an offensive piece they're still going to lose a lot of those defensive weapons but part of the deal he wants another offensive weapon that was that's not in the deal but that's all the rumors that he said he wants another piece on the outside for himself he got two years to go get it this year he's going significantly lower i think it's going to be around he's under 20 million i think this year oh i think if i remember correctly yeah he took a significant availability here to actually go for it but then his last two years in that four-year deal are going to be astronomical. Massive. Massive. Like, 
easily over 55 plus i think if i remember oh correctly like if he doesn't retire by then yeah i think that's still i think that's a huge component of it i think he realizes that he's got it he had to take the cut but he put the financial stability towards the end so maybe if he just wanted to play and not really play and know it's kind of done for at that point or if he just wants to retire and say all right i didn't get it done but he's got two years really with this contract to go for it so it makes sense of how they've kind of backlogged it, but they're still going to lose a lot of the pieces because of how bad they were already over the cap to begin with. Negative 40 million plus when, when the offseason started. So it's like, how are you going to surround or get that second weapon? If you're, I know the contract, he's not, the cap hit isn't as astronomical this year, but who wants to come to Green Bay though, you know, as a free agent, unless it's like mid season, you know, they're, firmly in contention for like the number one seed or whatever. It's just tough free agency. I don't really see Green Bay as a very logical landing spot, especially, you know, knowing Aaron Rodgers. And I like Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm not, I'm not an Aaron Rodgers hater, but there's a lot of people out there that hate him. You know, that he has such a bad rep. And so it's like you combine that with living in Green Bay, there's not much appeal. And you know that he's, he hasn't had nearly as much success in the playoffs. So you can't come to Green Bay thinking like, oh yeah, I'm about to win a Super Bowl here because that's not how it's been. Last 11 years. Like you said, under 500 in the playoffs, 0-4 in championship games after that Super Bowl win. So it's like, I don't really see the appeal in doing that. They could look to the draft, but that's not a guarantee. So, yes, they position themselves to win the NFC North, one of the weaker divisions in football, and they might reign supreme in the NFC because there's not many options. But let's say they get the number one seed. Are they going to falter again? Are they going to lose in the divisional or in the conference championship because of Aaron Rodgers' inability to elevate? We don't know. And so he did make the right move financially. And for his legacy, because he does not want to be known as the bad guy that left Green Bay on bad terms. But as far as winning goes, I just don't really see or, or know how like things are going to work out in that regard. Well, I thought this past year was his best chance. And I actually had Green Bay winning the Super Bowl this year. I did too. <laughs> see, so we're, they both broke our hearts and but and made us look like horrible sports journalists by guessing the wrong team. And it wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. No, it wasn't even close. Oh man! But I think the largest entity here is that you know that they're going to be it. They're going to win the division, and by that point, you don't know what happens. And you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be crazy good in the regular season. It's all about his postseason play because you know he's, in my opinion, he's the greatest quarterback at the position that I've watched throw the football on a consistent basis. I know Patrick. We all get enamored by Patrick Mahomes, and rightfully so, but. <laughs> the consistency of what Aaron Rodgers has done since he's started taking over in green Bay to where he is now. I think his consistency has put him in that, pers that perspective, but mm -hmm. you're just going to have that right now. His legacy is that he can't get it done. That's his legacy. Yeah. You can say one super bowl. That was when they went really just really got hot at the end of the year. They got in as the last team in the wild card and they just took off from there on the road. It's going to be really intriguing to see how Green Bay unfolds here. I think the Rams are still the lead dog, the favorite in the NFC without question. Mm -hmm. I'd, I would have Packers third probably, second or third, just because of Aaron Rodgers' potential ability, but not going to be really sold on that. Exactly, until we see otherwise. Absolutely. He has to prove it to us now. Mm -hmm. But... I didn't want, I really wanted to hold off on this part of the segment, but um, we're going to talk about now Washington, everybody. And 
how uh, emotionally uh, devastated I am with how we have now traded two third rounders, one that can become a second rounder, to land Carson Wentz and pay all $28 million of his deal because of a desperation move, in my opinion, just because of all the quarterback moves that unfolded and we wanted to make sure we got one of the veterans, even though I do not trust Carson Wentz at all. Steezy, talk to me. I will vent, vent right after you finish. <laughs> so take it away. All right, so, you know, let's try to put a positive spin on things, right? It's definitely an upgrade, even if it's only marginal. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to help Terry McLaurin. I think it's going to somewhat accelerate his development because we all know how good, how scary, you know, scary Terry is, and especially down the field, you know, on those deep fly routes. Carson Wentz, what we do know about him, he's going to push the ball down the field. He loves to play hero ball. He loves to p- make those, you know, magical plays, those big plays, explosive plays. We know he's about that. We know he's going to want to do that. Now, he might not be the most accurate quarterback. He might not be the best leader. He might be super inconsistent. He might be injury prone. He might not be trustworthy. But I, I think it's definitely going to Keep going. Keep listing those negatives because <laughs> that's just going to make the vent that much worse. <laughs> his third team, his third team in three years, um, he's not really a proven winner. Uh, I know we all, Under, we've all seen just above right around 500 as a starter. Exactly. And I think the fact that his team was able to win a Super Bowl without him, despite producing an MVP year back in 2017, 2018 with Nick Foles, I think that actually hurts him because then it's like, yo, was that MVP season? Was that a product of, of the system? Was that a product of, of Doug Peterson and all the weapons and, and, and the team? Because they were able to win a Super Bowl with, without you. So just how valuable are you really? You know what I mean? And so he doesn't really have any sort of track record, I feel like, to kind of look at and be like, yo, he, he's done this, he's done this. There's nothing really to look at there. Um, and I know some people are, I actually got into yesterday with somebody uh, about the whole Carson Wentz deal because he was pretty much absolving Carson Wentz of all blame. So I was like, yo, I understand, you know, Against Jacksonville, a lot of things imploded. The defense gave up a whole bunch of plays. Uh, Jonathan Taylor didn't exactly have the best of games, but you're a quarterback getting paid $28 plus million. You know, you're supposed to elevate those around you. You're supp- you are the number two overall pick. You know, you have all these expectations, and you you kind of look at yourself as – he looks at himself as a, as a top 10-ish quarterback. I like to think he looks at himself like that. He doesn't play like it. You know, and, and so – while it is a marginal upgrade, while it does give you guys the second best quarterback in the division, I just don't know if that's going to be enough to, to really do anything in the playoffs. You guys might be able to make the playoffs maybe as a wild card, um, but I just don't see Carson Wentz as the guy that's going to bring you guys to the promised land. Now, he might be looked at as a, as a stopgap, and so maybe that's okay. But if I'm if I'm the Washington Commanders, I'm, I don't care if I'm without third-round picks. I'm looking to the draft. I'm looking to bring in some competition because I cannot go into training camp with Carson Wentz as the undisputed starter at quarterback. I need to bring in competition. I don't care how he takes that. I'm going to have to bring in some competition. Even if that's a rookie, then so be it. I want him to earn that spot. Without question. And I think we will end up going on the draft route. Maybe not in the first or second round, get one of those. I think we'll go mid the third, fourth, fifth round potential option as a... Or second, since there's no more thirds. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, probably a later round quarterback in my opinion. But all right, I've been waiting all week to get this off my chest. So I'm just going to go and... <laughs> Unleash. This was bogus. What are you doing, Ron Rivera? I know you run 
the football aspect and Jason Wright runs the business aspect. But Jason, come on, you had to, you're a former football player yourself and you have, you can't give any input here to say, tell Ron, this is a horrible trade. We had to give up a draft pick as well to go get him. We are paying all $28 million that he does not deserve. As Steezy said, three teams in three years. He has significantly declined each year. Yeah, yeah. last year you could say he had a, a decent season, 27, I think it's 27 touchdowns and maybe seven interceptions. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the actual tape, he should easily have had 18 to 20 interceptions minimum if you actually watch the tape. But sec- sometimes the secondary just can't catch the ball with their life depended on it. Look at Tart in the uh, NFC Championship game. <laughs> Poor guy. Sorry. Had to give a dig there to some of my San Francisco supporters. But still, I don't understand the move here. I get it. He is an upgrade from Heineke. It's That's without question. I have a better chance of going out there myself and handing the ball off and playing quarterback than what Carson Wentz does because the highs are high, but the lows are rock bottom low. If you... I had lost all confidence in him as soon as you saw him in 2019. Yes, he went on that little bit of a run. He got the Eagles into the playoffs. If you watch that tape, he did not play well in any of those games that they got wins in. He played okay. He's going to be a middle to bottom tier quarterback. Does he deserve a starting job? Potentially. But I think there are plenty other options that we should have went with should have traded for Garoppolo. He's a winner, proven winner. Wentz hasn't proven that to me in a over long term. Yeah, he's a 500 quarterback. Garoppolo is a more of a game manager. You know you're, what you're going to get, but at least I know what I'm going to get. I don't know what I'm going to get with Carson Wentz because you know you could get something really good or you can get something really, really bad. Marcus Mariota, you said you wanted him in Seattle. I would love Marcus Mariota. He gives you a different dimension, especially with how Gibson really has transcended our backfield. And with McKissick, as well as Curtis Samuel, who didn't get to play last year because of his injury, another dynamic weapon in that run game that could be utilized. And I get it. It's a third rounder. This 2023 one could become a second rounder, and it will become a second rounder. I mean, we don't have another option at the quarterback position if he's going to play more than 70% of our snaps. Take a perspective into that. But it just shows that we were so desperate once we got really turned down by trying to get Wilson, and we've we've been very open that we have called pretty much every team saying, do you have a quarterback available to sell? <laughs> That's how pretty much open that we've pretty much put a dig that, oh, we need a quarterback. I didn't want to go quarterback at 11 anyway. I wanted to go defensive back. So that takes away that. We're not, I swear if we go quarterback now at 11 too, I'll actually lose my mind. But what just what are we doing? I don't see the underlying process here. I get it. He's an upgrade, but there's too many unknowns. And when you throw a, uh, a pass left handed for a pick six, you lose all of my faith. All of it. So, <laughs> Steezy, I'm going to give it back to you if you want to put in the final word. But I am just at a loss for words and I'm extremely disappointed with my commanders. And I don't actually you put in a point that he's the second best quarterback. I don't even think he's the potentially the third best quarterback. I would put Jalen Hurts ahead of him right now. Because I know what I would put Hurts and Prescott ahead 
And you can honestly flip a I honest I will take him above, above Daniel Jones. Yes. Oh, yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. Poor New York is gonna be very bad for a very long time. But <sighs> Jalen Hurts, you know what you're gonna get. He commemorates the team, and the team it doesn't buy into when he's Wentz is on the field. And you can see that every time that he's been taken out, Foles rallies the team. Jalen Hurts rallies the team. Josh McCown, even in that playoff game, rallied the team. You see the team collectively come together as a group. And with everywhere that Wentz has been, there's been the off the field issue of does he have the commitment? Does he really want it? And why the team doesn't rally around him? There's always a disposition of clicks within a locker room that he is a part of. And you went to the opportunity in Frank Reich that you, you, you saw your most successful year. And you didn't see that. And, bro, like I said, three teams in three years, unless you're a superstar and, like, you know, you're moving around, then it's like, okay, you can't really blame the superstar because the superstar is instead choosing to do that. Like, take, for example, in the NBA, right, James Harden, what's that, three three teams in three years? Like, he was playing for the Rockets, Nets. But he, and wanted, he wanted out in every situation. He wanted out, and he's also a superstar. He's also an MVP. Correct. So it's like, okay, you, you're not going to blame the player there. But then here with Carson Wentz, I don't, I don't think people are really looking at this hard enough. Three teams in three years. If you were really a top-tier quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, for example, he comes with – some people would term it this way. And I'm not I'm – not, I don't subscribe <laughs> to this notion. But some people look at Aaron Rodgers and think, yo, this guy comes with a lot of baggage. But you know what? His greatness is the reason why he's still in Green Bay. He hasn't been on three teams in three years. Carson Wentz, not elite, not top 10. He's be- barely, hardly even a top 15 quarterback. I wouldn't, even put it, I wouldn't even put him top 15. I, I can't, I'm not going to blame you. I can't even argue that. Because if you choose not to, then I'm not going to be like, oh, he got to be top 15. He's not that good. You know, and there's so many different good quarterbacks out there. So this isn't any sort of dig or shot at a Carson Wentz. But, bro, three teams in three years, and you're not top tier. You're not elite. You're not a star. And it's the teams giving you up. Like, bro, that's obviously on you. And so, look, but did you see my story the other day when I posted that little meme about how <laughs> – Bro, that was the perfect <laughs> – Why don't you explain to the people what the meme was because I – Look, I, <laughs> I'm not going to show y'all, but I'm, I'm going to read it real quick. So on the left, there's a picture of Sierra. On the right, there's a picture of Carson Wentz in female form. And then the, <laughs> the meme, the meme, here's the meme real quick. Poor Washington commanders always shooting their shots at tens and leaving the party with a six. Yeah, I wouldn't even put him at a six. I wouldn't even put we, him at a six either. We, we walk away with freaking threes, bro. Come on. We walk away with freaking threes. Look at our quarterback issues for the past, like, five years. Oh, we had our – well, even drafted RG3 in 2012. He got hurt. Then we transitioned mm-hmm. to Cousins because Jay Gruden wanted Cousins over RG3 when RG3 was easily the better option, in my opinion, because of his raw potential. And then Cousins leaves because we're done with Cousins because we thought he was turning the ball over too much. And I was perfectly fine getting rid of Cousins too. But then you go to Fitzmagic, you have Dwayne Haskins, you have so many unknown variables at the quarterback position with us. Heineke plays. I think we had, we even had Josh Johnson come off of the street to play quarterback. I remember that. Sanchez off the street to play quarterback. That's how desperate we are of just something, something. I don't know if this is a hot take, bro, but I actually think that Taylor Heineke, he's not a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, but he's a better leader than Carson Wentz. Because oh, last yeah, he year, he rallies the troops. 
Exactly. Because last year when I was watching Washington football, I don't just watch the Seahawks. I watch every team. And so whenever I watch Taylor Heineke, it just seems like he has more of a synergy, you know, with his teammates. Like his teammates are, like you said, they're going to rally around him. They're going to fight for him. You know, with Carson Wentz, you don't get that same vibe. And so although you're getting an upgrade at quarterback only marginally, what about that downgrade and leadership ability? And so we don't necessarily know where that's going to go. I mean, seven and 10 might very well be repeatable next year. So I, I don't know, bro, but um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, I, I definitely do feel like it's going to unlock the potential of a Terry McLaurin. I think Terry McLaurin is finally going to explode for maybe 1,200, 1,300 yards. I don't think he's ever eclipsed 1,100. Definitely not his fault, but he's definitely a receiver that can hit 1,300, 1,400 yards. And so uh, I could see his ceiling getting higher. I could see him getting better, but the team as a whole, yeah i'm hurt i'm hurt i'm depressed i'm just gonna go mulling my feelings now like how steezy did the other day with russell wilson but mine's gonna be permanent because the player is on my team not away from my team so um but let's uh i know we're pressed for time you've got to go shortly so we're gonna skip into a little bit of an nba roundup here steezy talk to me what has been the biggest disappointment for you this nba season and the biggest surprise man see i I don't want to sound boring but it has got to be the lakers bro i mean i don't care about you know i know that the defense has been horrendous they've been turning the ball over that's not on i think vogel deserves some of the blame but i don't think it's all on him because they're they're just old that and the the personal doesn't necessarily fit what he wants to do so we all know he's a defensive-minded coach there aren't any wings that could play defense. And even the ones that you do have, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, these guys are way past their prime. Taylor Horton Tucker, overrated. Um, and I just feel like with, with Vogel, he does deserve blame in this regard, though. He's instead, he knows that Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily fit, right, with LeBron on the floor. And Lakers brass has been on him about, yo, bring him off the bench, maybe at least as a six man. But he's been very reluctant to do even that. I don't know why he's so stubborn. Because Westbrook will throw in the towel. That's just who he is. He's got that little bit of a mentality. He will throw in the towel, and they're hoping that they get a little bit of Washington Russell Westbrook towards the end of this season. That they've He's kind of shown a couple glimpses of it in these last couple Not of enough. games. Not enough. But they're hoping that he can catch lightning in a bottle, which has also right. been a lot of teams' hopes for recently with Westbrook. But, see, look, bro, I understand – that he was, he's probably throwing the towel, right, if he were to come off the bench. But, bro, this is the reason why he thinks he has all this power because all these coaches, all the coaches he's ever had, Westbrook has always had control or power over that coach. There has never been a coach that put their foot down and said, no, you're going to do what I need you to do, what the team needs you to do. We're not going to let you run things around here. Westbrook, maybe, okay, maybe he does throw in the towel, but maybe he looks at his advanced age and he looks at himself in the mirror and say, yo, this is what's best for the team. Because me starting, that's not working. This team, I don't care about how many injuries they piled up. I'm not saying Bron's the go. I think, in my opinion, Bron is, is, is second after MJ. But no team with LeBron, Westbrook, and AD that should have any business being eight to nine games under 500. I don't care if the roster around you is old. I don't care if the coach isn't competent enough. I don't care if there's injuries left and right. No team should be this far under 500, especially when you consider the fact that the West is not even better than the East this year. The East is a lot more stacked. The bottom of Very the West, true. you have teams under 500 in the play-in tournament. And so to me, that's just very puzzling. It's not even the West that's stacked. 
And you had opportunities to make moves at the deadline. I know you're limited as far as resources go. But, yo, you got Brian, you got AD and all these guys. Brian is, is in year 19 doing what he's doing. Um, but, look, I just feel like you need a coach that's going to put his foot down and say, yo, you're going to do what the team needs you to do. You're going to do what I need you to do. Westbrook has just been able to step on every coach, every coach's toes that he's been on. So he has this, you know, entitlement. And I love Westbrook. He's one of my favorite players to watch. But this year, I had to give it to the Lakers. The most surprising team for me, I think it got to be the Grizzlies, bro. Because even before, even earlier in the year when John Morant was missing time, this team was winning games. And once upon a time, this team was one of three teams to have 40 wins on a season. And, and so yeah. I think the team that's been able to right do, now in the West too. Two, two seed in the, in the West. West. They've had injuries. Dylan Brooks has missed a lot of time. Uh, Jaron Jackson, I feel like has definitely taken steps forward. Uh, Desmond Bain. I mean, my God, second came out of last year. came out of nowhere. This came year. out of nowhere. And so I know everybody's just looking at Ja. You know, he's definitely having an MVP year. One of my favorite players to watch. But my goodness, let's get man, some credit to some of these other box guys. Box office. Box office, like a. Ooh, man, bro, I got to get his jersey, man. I don't want to sound like I got one. Right I got there. one, bro. You know I got, ooh, and it's old school, too. Vintage, you know, old, it's school? A, old school Vancouver Grizzly. Vancouver oh. Grizzlies, bro, retro. Bro, you trying to make me jealous on air? Yeah, man, it's always the goal, bro. <laughs> I got, I I might as well just, uh, if, I, if I had the opportunity to go grab it right now and put it on, I would. <laughs> I would make you that jealous right now on live air. <laughs> I can't fault you, bro, because I would go out and try to stun and flex on it too. I mean, you know, we all talk about John Moran, so yeah, you know, I can't, I can't be mad. I can't, I can't be mad at you, bro. Um, but but the Grizzlies, yeah, it's not just Ja. They have such a, I'm not gonna say a complete team because I feel like maybe they could use another star or a fringe star to kind of push this team over the top. I don't think they could, you know, win the chip today, but they are a piece away. I will say that. Um, I definitely didn't anticipate that going into the season, though. I had to make in the playoffs. I had him as a top six, top 17, but for them to just kind of obliterate all expectations, they were winning basketball games without John Morant. Defensively, they're, they're top tier. Uh, hustle plays, highlight plays. Jaron Jackson is, is top five in the league in blocks. They have shooters. They have depth. They have a great coach. They play in a loaded West. I have a whole lot of, ah, man, expectations for them now. But um, they definitely got to be the surprise of the year. I don't think anyone foreshadowed this. Not even, you know, John Rand's rise to MVP level. Um, but, look, I'm happy for what they're doing. I'm happy for them. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely see them making a run this year. Just not winning a chip, though, but they're ahead of schedule. I concur. So, for me, biggest disappointment, I'm because I know the Lakers is usually the unanimous decision here. But I'm going to go with the other disappointment on the other side, which has been Brooklyn. Mm. With how that is absolutely blown up. They're also in the play-in tournament, and they're going to be end up in the play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. How everything's unfolded. Yes, they had the injury with Kevin Durant. The whole Kyrie part-time player situation has been a little bit unique, and it really hasn't panned out. And they have 15 games left. Four of them, Kyrie will only be available. It's going to be a real struggle for them to really – they'll make the play-in tournament. It'll be really intriguing to see how it, everything unfolds. I think the one component that they do have – is that they will be on the road every single series now. So they'll have Kyrie for four of the games instead of three if, if the vaccination policy doesn't get uplifted. But I think the whole Eric issue with how Harden unfolded and him and Kyrie not developing, Ben Simmons, I think Ben Simmons has honestly been a bit of a wimp. I don't think this back injury is legit. 
He honestly used this back injury and Brooklyn was completely supportive of him. So he didn't have to play last night against the Sixers. They ended up winning by 30 because they, it ended up rallying Brooklyn. They actually showed up and showed out. I think Brooklyn has been an extreme disappointment, especially when Kevin Durant, they were the one seed in the East before he goes down. And then you go, you drop off that significantly. That's some red flags. And I don't know how far Kevin can take you. And I think they were, they're not going to win the championship this year because of how far deep in the hole they really are now, which is going to be really intriguing to see. My biggest surprise will be another team from the Western conference. And I think it's going to be Minnesota. What mm. they have really done come out of the break has been outstanding. The best record since the all-star break, you have really seen D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards finally gel in their little big three that you can call it. I don't consider it a big three, but those up and coming stars of three potential raw superstars offensively, they've started to really show out defensively Malik Beasley, a great two-way player that people really sleep on when he came over from Denver. I think to Minnesota is going to, they won't make it out of the first round, but I think they are going to make some noise. They're going to make it a very competitive series. And if they get a Memphis, Minnesota, that could go six or seven games. And there's going to be fireworks all over. Anthony Edwards, John Morant, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Just thinking about just two young superstars going, aspiring superstars going back and forth. Well, I was just going to say, too, I feel like with Minnesota, I didn't expect his impact to be as great as it has been. But I feel Without like question. Patrick Beverly has really, you know, at, given this team much needed toughness and, and hustle. He's a real and leader on that team, too. He really – bro, they gave him a, a one-year 10 million extension just a couple of months ago. And it's yeah. like, what? In the middle of the year? Like, that's how much – that's how important he has been to this basketball team. I don't know if he played fantasy, but even in fantasy, like, his, his ability to kind of contribute all across the board, it's yep. like – we all knew that, you know, he could shoot off the ball. We all knew that he's a pest, you know, one-on-one -on -one defensively. But some of the other contributions that he's making, you know, as far as leadership, intangibles, hustle, energy, it's real contagious. Now, it's like everybody's playing with that sense of urgency. Everybody's playing with that dog. And so it's like, it's real nice to see this. You know, if they get out of the first round, I will not be surprised. I'm not going to count on it. But, hey, Patrick Beverly, he's definitely not somebody you'd consider as a building block. But for this particular team, he has to stick and around. he will have them ready to go. He yeah. will make sure that they're ready, that they won't have that postseason like too big of a moment. He mm -hmm. will have them locked in just locked because of in. his tenacity and his postseason experience. But that's going to wrap us up for this edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Steezy, thank you so much for joining me today. Give yourself a plug. Where can they catch you on your content? Hey, bro, Blaine, I just want to say, bro, thank you so much for having me on. This is a true pleasure. This was super, super fun. Uh, to, to all the listeners out there, everybody that's tuned in, to everybody that will tune in, please show my guys some love here at the Final Whistle Podcast. All, everywhere where you can watch uh, podcasts, where you can stream podcasts, and especially on YouTube, uh, definitely be sure to do that. Follow my socials as well before you even get to me. And then once you get to me, once you're done doing that, you can find me. I know down here it says Calvin Domingo. Uh, I haven't change that it should say steezy smith don't so worry I kind of left bro it the, zoom, the, the zoom it'll 
fall off of the Zoom link anyway. Oh, it's, oh yeah, I, feel, I feel stupid. I, I feel stupid, but uh, you guys can find me primarily on YouTube, and I've been working somewhat diligently on other socials, you know, Twitter and Instagram, but primarily on YouTube as DZA Smith, S-T-E-E-Z-Y-A-S-M-I-T-H. I don't just cover the Seahawks. I don't just cover football. Like we were just talking about, basketball is actually my first sport, my first love, and so it'll always be basketball first, NBA first. Um, not only that, you know, a little bit of boxing that I sprinkle in from time to time. I'm trying to get back into baseball because you know baseball is back, it's back. So yeah expect it's, some of that i won't talk excited. baseball till the middle of the year that's just me i can't do it's it it's cool but <laughs> well, hey, i'm real excited for my mariners though bro i feel like yo we could definitely oh. make a push to make the playoffs i'm real excited for our future and so i definitely i gotta whatever you want to call it i guess i you know you can call me a bandwagon but um, <laughs> <laughs> my athletics are gonna drop off because as soon as we go under 500 there is no going back so opening day weekend <laughs> is the biggest reason for the athletics this year Hey, well, let's just be glad that baseball's back. Because there was no a point question. in time where it was like, damn, we don't even know if baseball's going to be back. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's me, uh, Calvin Domingo, a.k.a. Steezy A. Smith. Again, Blaine, thank you so much for having me on, bro. It was a true pleasure. Don't forget to, to follow him on socials, and you can follow me. You can find me. And uh, much love, bro. Thank you, my man. The pleasure was mine having you come on such short notice. Be ready for some more Final Whistle content, especially with March Madness is going to be starting Ooh. up next week. Be on the lookout for some bracketology from Blaine Spencer, the host of The Final Whistle, signing off. Enjoy your day, everybody.